Hey everybody, this is Michael Rosso, Film Photography Podcast, August 1st, 2018. Super special summer episode here in the studio with Matt Marash. Hey, what's going on? Mark O'Brien. Hey there, everyone. And stepping up to the mic, Ms. Leslie Lazenby. Hello, my lovelies. And uh, I was just saying, Leslie, uh, this is our super special, super, super special summer show. You've got your real teeth in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is the house of fun for summer. Ah, oh, yes. Which was... Uh, Beach party Vietnam. Which was... <laughs> there was a garage when I was growing up in Lyndhurst, and uh, uh, I'd never forget, Nancy Scanlon. She lived next to the track man, and her garage was... And her garage was like a clubhouse, and it, it said, it was paint, you know how like kids paint like a, like a mural? Mm-hmm. It said, like, this is the house of fun for summer. And then it was like a, a picture of, like, Woody Woodpecker and a few other, like, cartoon characters. Now, I have never been in the house of, that house of fun, but I've been in the FPP house of fun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the house of fun for summer. This is me, Michael Rosso, mostly the caffeine talking, but that's okay. That's okay. That's why it's super special. It's super yeah. special. We're going to jump right in because I keep forgetting I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a camera review first. Mike and, Rosso yes. is doing a camera review. Yes. And it's, it's a, a Canon? It's got to be a Canon. No, no it's a Rico. Uh, what? Rico. Get out of here. Yes, it is. We have a letter. Oh. We... Have a letter. Okay. Can I, short letter. It's okay. from our friend, our good friend, Ian Fleming. Oh, Ian, Ian, Fleming. Ian Fleming. Dear Mike and the gang, just done a quick eBay trawl of compacts. Wow, the prices. I have a GR1V and an R1. Bought ages ago. Might be worth an item in a future podcast on these as they are limited in supply and when they die, no one seems to be able to fix them. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, how about we don't talk about it? The, no. <laughs> the, the R1 was also rebranded as a Roly Prego Micron, oh. which is, I always called my little Italian sports car. I love that camera. If you want to hear more about it, episode 70. Mm. Phenomenal camera. Drop mine. Broke it. <laughs> Can't be fixed. Anyway, there's also the fabulous GR1V, <gasps> which was released in the year 2001. Oh. And that is what Michael is using right now. I'm very happy you read that letter because I had I was going to, to give a disclaimer saying... That my reviews are my experience. It's not like the technical handbook. It's not the instruction manual. It's what I know. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what year this camera came out. I would have said earlier, but I'm delighted to hear that it's 2001. Well, think about it. This, this yeah, this is a, a Ricoh GR1V. I call it the most awesome street camera because that's what I have been using it for, and it is fast. Yes. Fast. It's a 35 millimeter compact camera. It feels good in your hand. It's black. This came in as a donation, and it has a quirk. Well, one of the quirks is that the electronics die. <laughs> it's okay. A, it's a feature. Yes. So this is a, a set. This this camera is limping along. What do you call it? LCD screen. Uh huh. Yeah. 
That's sh- that's ver- that's known for shorting out. <laughs> Sorry, I just it's imagined a- like on the shrink wrapping that this was wrapped. Like, sometimes works, like in all caps and like three exclamation points. <laughs> yeah, sometimes when boxes of donations come in, um, there are notes. You know, mm. I don't know if has something. Have you seen a box that said sometimes works? Oh yeah, oh, sometimes yeah. Yeah, we had we had a couple. Uh, Couple cameras that like permanent marker on them. What was what was the bad hot bad hot foot? Bad hot foot. Bad hot foot. (laughs) (laughs) Bad hot Hot foot. (laughs) So this camera, the the top of it is a LCD screen where you where you know all of your any of your features have to be seen there. Your your how many exposures you have left is there, and like right now, I don't know how many exposures are left. This it looks like a thirteen. But it could be 19. It could be 23. I don't really know. It doesn't really matter because I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, there's a button on the back, on, off, and that uh, makes your lens pop out. This has a, it says GR 28 millimeter f2.8 lens, which is awesome. Great for street photography because it's wide. And it's matte black. It is matte black. M-A-T, matte mirage black. Matte mirage black, so non-reflective street photography. Um, There are some great... I did not read any manual for this camera. I just looked. I kind of eyeballed all the features. I'm used to using point-and-shoot cameras like the Olympus Stylus Epic. So I'm kind of familiar with what what features are what. Um, So right on the top of the camera, you have mode, which... I don't know what it does because I can't see the readouts. <laughs> so I haven't touched that. Uh, next to that is a self-timer, mm-hmm. which is easy peasy. We used it the other, ta- the other day to take a group shot. You just mm-hmm. press it. When you, when you press your shutter button, you see the red, the red flashing on the, on, the, on the front, you know, telling you that it's working. A beautiful feature to the left is a little dial, and it's at zero right now. But this is plus or minus f-stops. It's... Brilliant. So you could do plus one, plus two. There are also half stops. Mm. And you could do minus one, minus two, and there are half stops. Uh, to the right is another dial, which is beautiful. I have it set to P, which is program. But what's amazing is you could make this a aperture priority camera. So just by turning the dial, you could um, you know, go to 2.8, so shoot wide open. Great for, like, if you're on the street and you want to get a portrait, you could shut your flash off and with natural available light with some fast film, get some awesome pictures. It goes F2.8 to 22, and then the lever after that is ISO. So forget if you forget what film you have in here, in here and your readout actually worked, you'd be able to <laughs> say, tell what ISO film you have in your camera. So it's DX-coded, though, too, right? It is DX-coded. Okay. Um, guessing, because it's a year 2001 camera, that the DX codes go pretty wide. So I haven't shot the T-Max 3200 in here, but I'm almost guarantee that it goes to at least 3200. Uh, on the back, has a beautiful feature. You don't have to dial this in. It's just a, a switch, and that is A for automatic. And this is for your flash feature. And then you could uh, switch it to flash always on mm-hmm. or to flash off, which is amazing mm. because I use that often. Because, as you know, Matt, you're on the street. A lot of times, if the flash automatically fires, it kind of kills the mood. And shot ruiner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. shot ruiner. <laughs> There's also another button here. Oh, um, that's my on-off. I discussed that already. 
Uh, the only mystery, I guess, is the mode button, which, as I said, you know, if you can pick up one of these, um, you could just pick up a manual online and figure out what that mode button is. What do you think it is, Leslie, from mode? I think the hmm. manual just came up in the donations. Yeah, let's take a look. I think it's Oh, you won't there. be able to see it. I, I would suspect it's probably portrait mode. The oh, little, the little yeah, running man mode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Essentially exposure yeah, there's, equivalents. There's mountains. There's... If it's not on automatic. And then there's your spot metering mode that you can mm-hmm. check where you're metering. Oh, very nice. So, yeah. mm-hmm. so that's regular is your auto. Mountains, it's your landscape. And then the other one that's just showing what your metering is when you change that out. Yeah. And the, the mountain thing, you shoot like something that hasn't happened yet, but you can lock the focus in on infinity. Pre-focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like pre-focus. Now, the most amazing thing about the camera, you know, you know is for me when I looked it up was the price. <laughs> I had no, I mean... It's like me dropping mine. Yeah, it's like so many point-and-shoots, you know. Yeah, take a shot, Matt. Compacts are crazy. I'll do my Scott Walker. Nice. Wait a minute. Oh, no, that was your Alan Walker. That, <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it again. Which was the price. Um, used. This camera goes for a minimum of $500. Whoa. Minimum. I should have cheered okay, when I dropped I mine. The, the predecessor to that one, the GR1... At a flea market at, East, at Eastman House, oh, I don't know, yeah. 10 years ago or more, I paid five bucks for it. Yep. Stuff's getting nuts. And, I, yes, and yeah. about five years later, I dropped it and went all in a bunch of pieces, and that was the end of it. So, But I liked it. They hardly seem big enough to put a roll of film in. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it's so beautifully flat. Yeah. It is a little Italian so, sports car. It looks like a dig. It looks like a dig. Uh, on the oh. bottom, by the way, is a battery compartment. Uh, I believe this takes uh, one or two CR2s. Yeah, one CR2. One, yeah, probably one CR2, which are easy to find. Uh, it is so compact, it's delicious. I have been toting this around because of the problems it has. It didn't want to go on in the cold too much. It was a little sensitive to the cold. I'm guessing because it has some internal problems. But I took this. It was so fast on the street, Matt. Like, I whipped it out. How fast was it? It was, it was like, like, I was able to grab shots so fast. And I was so pleased with the images that this camera took. So, highly recommended. I'm going to shoot it until it just dies. You're natural with it. Like, I notice when, when you're really into a camera, you, you don't futz with a lot of stuff. You're just, like, moving. You're moving all around. The camera becomes part of you. Yes. Which, which is a beautiful thing. It, right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, when you could become one with your camera and you're not futzing with stuff. Then you concentrate on your subject. Right. Your photography skills. That's the when whole the good bit. stuff happens. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like years ago when we were on the streets of Finlay back in the early days, mm-hmm. you remember I would do my backward run? Yes. Or run behind the cold crowd. I get they'd be still walking, not pay attention to me, and I'd be like in action. Perfect camera for that. My other favorite is of course the Olympus Stylus Epic. Um, that's also a highly recommended camera. That's my second favorite. I would have to say, as of right now, this is my favorite, the mm-hmm. GR1V camera. Um, it's, it's, is it worth picking up for the price? I'd say no. I'd say snoop around and see. Because if you could buy it at a thrift, most likely that thrift doesn't know what they have. Right. So they'll price it, you know, if they price it at their high $10. Great. And I read about all, I, I see online all the time, 
listeners who post, especially about the stylus epics, yes. picking it up for $5 yes. at places where they don't know the value of it. Good right. wills or something like that, yes. Yeah. My only beef with the stylus epics is you have to manually turn off the flash every time you open up the camera. Yes. Or else oh. it will flash off. It stays in auto flash mode. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was mom camera. Mom camera. Yeah. Or aunt or aunt camera. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the great thing about the this camera is there's a button, on, a, a switch, uh-huh. so you could just leave it mm-hmm. flash off regardless of what's good. on off. So that's my review. Uh, I love it. Highly recommend it. If you can find one cheap, pick it up. Is it worth six hundred bucks? Well, you know what? If you're going to become one with your camera and it's it's guaranteed by the seller, and you have the money. <laughs> People pay yeah. a lot of money for much lesser cameras. Oh, yeah. they do, and it, it's a little predecessor. Well, not predecessors. The one that, yeah, predecessor that came before it, gave you a couple options on wide lenses. Oh, yeah. no kidding! A thirty and a twenty-four, and a twenty-four with the ma- panorama mask. Ooh! Oh, and I just I love Was that it Rico? camera. Yes, I have the Roly version. The twenty-four would be tasty. The twenty-four is tasty. It's almost all the time. It is now because when I dropped it, that's the lens it's stuck in. But it also does not have the overrides like yours does. Ooh. So it's kind of that's kind of the cream of the crop. I still really love the Prego Micron, but but that is sweet. <laughs> yeah. Nice camera. It really is. If you find Beautiful. if you can find it, grab it. Mm-hmm. You will enjoy it. Moving right along. Matt, what do you have for this episode? I, I got nothing, Mike. I actually didn't have anything. Oh my god. Oh, you can help I you can help letter. me out with film sensitivity. Oh, do we I, have any letters? It's my letter. We have no other letters left? I have I've I they sent them elsewhere. I don't know where they went. This stuff is all conquered. I got a I got a few spares. Oh, got some spares. Oh, where's that? Pulling out here. There it is. <laughs> We're gonna do a letter. By the way, you can write to us always podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. We and love your letters. It's August 1st, coming right up. When? Two oh. days from now? Three days from now? Yeah. It's the big walking workshop mm-hmm. in Finley, Ohio. Yep, Getting, August 3rd. Getting warmed you, up for it. You can go to our website to check that out to see if spots are still available. we got to get going. i got a lot to do. That's right. <laughs> Matt, you got a letter? I do. This is from... Oh, this is great. It's. I know it's Phil M, but it looks like it says Philum. No, <laughs> oh, Philum. This is great. Hey, FPP gang. I'm an avid film shooter in the SF Bay area. I have a background in filmmaking, so up till now, most of my photos are either natural light or using hot lights. Recently, I've been oh. on the search for a small mobile lighting source. This is a great letter. This is a great letter. I want to ever discussed or can discuss different modern flash strobes, vintage cameras. I mostly use, get ready, Mike, Pentax K1000. Yes. Holga. Nice. And various very analog cameras. And wanted to know if you could point me in the right direction, where to go to get very basic information on flashes and strobes with these cameras. I have literal, literally zero experience with them. Thanks so much. As always, keep these amazing shoes coming and from film in sf bay area <laughs> matt i was going to ask the same question because if you walk into a big superstore these days yes they want to they're going to sell you a strobe kit for didge and they want to, yeah and they want to sell you like the, the full auto mega strobe set which is you know that's going to set you back a lot of money but there's so many older folks that shot in the 60s and 70s where did those kits go to die Midwest. <laughs> Midwest uh, Photo Exchange. Well, one fun thing uh, about Midwest is we specialize in 
the the little strobe kits. Um, we are a kind of a strobist affiliated site. So David Hobby created the strobist website. You go strobist.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, free tutorials on how to use an off-camera flash, like a single little off-camera strobe. His number one flash recommended for the longest time was like the Vivitar 285HV. Now his number one recommended flash is one that uh, is an almost exclusive at Best Photo, which is the Luma Pro LP180. Those are great flashes. I used to work for those guys. They're awesome. So little strobes, uh, you can pick them up pretty cheap. There's some good strobes made by manual strobes. Is made. it one strobe or a kit you're talking about? You can buy kits. You can buy just the single lights. They We actually have little... Uh, a little, it's called our Strobus page on mm-hmm. on uh, com. You can go and find all that stuff. But this is an MPEX ad. I just wanted to say, like, we specialize in that stuff. So I've got quite a bit of experience in it. That's how I got my uh, how I got my feet wet. Was I went on the Strobus website and educated myself on it. So the fun thing is, well, the not so fun thing is when you're using film and strobes, you're adding two. Uh, kind of unknowns to your to your setup, so I'm not always recommending this. If you have the dig, practicing a, a manual strobe on dig can be easier because you're seeing what you get right away. Um, if you only have film to work with, there's there's a lot of trust involved, and you're gonna have to probably develop that film right away, maybe with like FPP Super Mono Bath or something, something where you can see the results very very quickly, or right? Maybe, maybe even a Polaroid of sorts, but. Once you have lighting down, especially with strobes, um, the one thing to remember about strobes is when you're using a strobe light, they operate at the speed of light. So shutter speed doesn't matter. The only time it matters is your sync speed, the X speed on your camera. Most of them have a fixed X on the shutter dial at like a 60th or 125th. The biggest thing you're going to use to control how much oomph you're getting from that flash is your aperture. Right. The f-stop. So a lot of your older flashes will have like these little f-stop mm. guides. So at this power, you're at f8. or at, so. Well, use your yeah. Goss and Luna Pro F. F yes. is for flash. Flash yes. meter, yeah. Which is awesome. And most flash meters, you know, there's two types. There's ones that can sync up with a cord, mm-hmm. or there's your flash meter where you just hit F, and the light starts blinking because it's waiting for that, that pulse of light to come in so it can read multiple pulses of flash. So um, most meters, yes, that are F... That's all you need to be able to measure that out. And manual flash really isn't that hard. And once you understand it, you're kind of understanding light a little bit better. What kind of cost? Manual flashes. If you're paying more than, if you're paying more than 150 bucks, like you're paying too much. Most of these used, you can get way cheaper. Right. But new ones with like a good warranty, about 100 bucks. That's not bad. No. What is the ideal setup for someone who just wants to do like a portrait and set up a little studio in their home? Um, probably just two stro like a two strobus, uh, two light backlight. Yeah, exactly. Or like one, yeah, one you can bounce, one you can have off camera, so you can have like a little bit of fill for that, or like mm-hmm. a key and a fill. You don't need to go crazy with a bunch of the strobes because right. they're pretty powerful. Um, most of those little speed light strobes will be great if you're using, you know, 100, 200, up to like 800 speed film. You don't need crazy fast film for it because that strobe is quite a lot of light in a, in a small amount of time. Um, you know, they're not good for filling up big old subjects, but for, yeah. you know, single-person portraiture and stuff, they're great. And, of course, uh, if you don't have a strobe uh, and you can find yourself an assistant or a stand, a uh, reflector card. Those are great. Uh, 
goes a really amazing mm-hmm. long way. It makes a, such a difference. It's the first light modifier I recommend. Before you even buy a strobe, if you don't have like a little folding <clears throat> reflector, like little 42-inch 5-in-1s, those are great. I actually have two in my mm-hmm. trunk at all times. When we were testing the uh, X-ray film back at uh, FPP Studio yes. in Butler, mm-hmm. I had the, the <clears throat> bing. It folds out, has uh, silver on one side, yep. white on the other. <clears throat> bing. Those are great. And we brought the subject over to the window. <clears throat> bing. But by reflecting that sun back into the face it made the world of difference all the difference yeah and it for any portraits if you're doing like a you know a sit down or stand ish up portrait <laughs> it makes a world of difference just to spend that extra like minute mm-hmm. to grab like in the case of butler whoever was there hey joe can exactly. you hold this for a second mm-hmm Makes a world of difference. They call that a, a voice-activated light stand. That's the best kind. Yes. <laughs> but the cost is maybe and a pizza pie. When I was shooting uh, a friend's band years ago, uh, I just inducted uh, William Hellfire. He there happened to be there. Go. I'm like, Bill, I actually brought a monopod with a flash. You know, you could buy the sensors. Yeah. Yep. They're, they're little slave. Slave. Yeah. Slave, yeah, activated. I had so I had a um, a, a just a Vivitar 252 flash on a stick with a sensor, mm-hmm. and then I'd be like, I, I wouldn't even say it because it was noise. I'd just be pointing like Go over there, Go over there. <laughs> so he'd get kind of behind yeah. the subject, like a wedding assistant. Yeah, and then when I'm popping off my flash, it's syncing to that flash, mm-hmm. and it completely popped out the subject. Definitely, so beautifully. When uh, when I do the we do uh, I do a lighting one hundred and one class mm-hmm. at, at Midwest Photo, and the first thing I have all my students do because at least you have like a pen and paper. So if you have a pen and paper in front of you, draw two circles. That's all you have to do. Draw two circles now, using using your pen and only your pen. Turn one of those circles into a sphere. What do you do? I can tell you. What do you do, Leslie? You have to make a shadow on one side that uh-huh. graduates to a highlight on the other side. Great. So that we oh. see dimension. Yes, that's the only way that... So photography is, mm-hmm. is taking a three-dimensional space and turning it into a two-dimensional space. We're mm-hmm. flattening it out. Lighting, especially once it's off camera, is creating a highlight and a shadow. And that's what gives dimension. That's what's going to mm-hmm. pop them out of that. So Even in the shit fluorescent light here. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Matt. One oh, side is darker you. than the other. Yeah. And I'm seeing a, a you know. I've a, got those raccoon eyes. You can say it, Mike. I don't, no, I'm not actually saying that. <laughs> so we are well, catching the light from here and there. A lot of this. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, the last few years, I mean, I look at my photography and I just shake my head because I'm so lazy. <laughs> and I haven't been, you know, it's those little extra things. Yes. The bounce card, the slave. The extra 5%. Yeah. yeah. So lazy. Even when I would go to John Fidelli's band rehearsal, I would put slaves on tripods, you know. Yeah, you used to bring the whole set. Bring yeah. the whole little, and I'd have all these crazy little, because the little slaves, you buy them on eBay. They're from China. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're cheap. Yeah. Peanut slaves. Are there you can use any PC, any, any flash mm-hmm. with a hot shoe. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you can place them all over the place, and then when you're shooting, it's just like, poof, 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 they all go fire. Mm-hmm. And then it just, it makes a world of difference. It, 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 it makes your photography extraordinary. So. It definitely does. So that's like the extra little bit you can do. Yep. One thing I will say about uh, film flashes versus dig flashes, there are big differences. Yeah. If you shoot both, which is okay, you're allowed to shoot dig. It's fine. We don't care. Um, but if you have 
a manual flash, like from an old film camera kit, you know, like a, a 282, a 283, something like that, right. Vivitar, those flashes are too high voltage for your ditch. Oh. If you put those flashes, oh. even though it looks like they'll fit, on your ditch, you'll fry it. <laughs> there, I believe, is a wine safety shoes. shoe. Yep. Safety shoe that mm-hmm. if you re- insist on it. It's you like can, a resistor. You can yeah. put it in between. It kind of steps it down to yeah. safe voltage. Now, for the price <coughs> of that safety shoe, yeah. you're halfway to a, a good manual flash anyway. looked at it in years. Well, most new manual flashes, they're safe for both, so they're great. Awesome. Yeah, It's a good letter. Flash in the pan. Where did that come from? Side note. Oh, can uh, we? Magnesium powder. That's right. Yeah. <coughs> no side kidding. Side yeah. Note. Flash in the pan. Yeah. Yes. It's band, too. Oh, band. Flash the band. The I'm going to talk about bands. Are you really? I am. Let's take a break. Kodak introduces the extraordinary Kodamatic trim print instant color film. Unlike the ordinary instant print, the extraordinary trim print lets you lift off the image to capture the color just the way you like it. And now look how slim I am. I slip easily into places the ordinary bulky instant doesn't fit. So you can keep me in style here in your album with your regular pictures. You can trim me. Watch it. And I'm so thin you can put me where you couldn't put an ordinary instant picture. You can show me off. You can do all kinds of things with me that you can't do with an ordinary instant picture. Here I am with the new Kodomatic Trim Print Instant Color Film. Anyone can do extraordinary things. But he didn't tell you trim print is only for Kodomatic Instant Cameras. He didn't tell him it's only from Kodak. What? He didn't tell him it was only from Kodak. Extraordinary. Thank you. Trim print, the extraordinary new instant color film from Kodak. Hey, we're back. We're going to turn the microphone over to Ace Freely. <laughs> Ace. <laughs> Shock me, Mr. Mark O'Brien. Okay. Well, I thought I would do a little classic camera review this after this afternoon. Not classic camera revival. No, whoa, classic whoa. camera review. Well, we'll we'll get a cease and desist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Alex. So, Alex, you're not going to send us a cease and desist, are you? He didn't mean it. Link, link to the cease and desist in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, uh, by, the, by, the, by the way, um, uh, Alex Laux does our show notes. He has classic camera revival. And he does a fabulous job with these notes. Podcast, Canadian Consortium. Take it away, Mark. This is a tale of two retinas. And if you're not, I have two retinas. If you don't, I have two retinas. One of them's got a, we need to get the eye a bad here? spot in it, so I'm good thing I'm left-eyed. Maybe a mess, but they're going to be taken. Anyway, if you're familiar with the history of Kodak a little bit, you'll know that back in the early days of 35-millimeter photography, shortly after the Leicas became available, Kodak released a retina camera made in Stuttgart, Germany by, by Nagel and became, later became Kodak AG. It was a pretty basic 35mm um, rangefinder. And later on, it came out with a camera called the Retina 2A, and it was much improved. The Retina 2A is a very compact, metal-bodied rangefinder camera with a non-interchangeable lens. It has a little front door that flips out, and the lens is the lens board is on a little bellows that sticks out in the camera. Bellows, and that has a compure shutter in it. Uh, goes from bead in one second to one five hundredth. Um, top deck film advance, quiet leaf shutter. It was produced from 1951 to 54. They made over 100,000 of them. 
To me, the nice thing about this camera, it's got a Schneider lens on it, a Ooh. Xenon 50mm f2. Those are good. Very nice lens. Did I say it was quiet? It's very quiet. Here, maybe, uh, maybe I should advance little, the film. Little you can flip. Hear it click here. Nice. That's and, very quiet. And full circle back to our uh, flash question, leaf shutters will sync at any shutter speed on that shutter because it's in the lens, not on the camera body. It doesn't have a focal plane with which to sync. So back to you, Mark. Good point. And I was going to bring that up. Electronic flash sync at all speeds with, ah! PC, with a PC sync uh, and cold shoe. Cold shoe for holding probably at one point a light meter if you need, had one. But you could put a, a, a flash up there with a cold shoe, and then at the uh, around the lens periphery, there's a little PC attachment. Um, nice. So um, it's got a combined rangefinder viewfinder. There's no bright lines or parallax correction. Um, the filter size is a 29.5 screw or a 32 millimeter push-on. Um, the film counter you manually manually set it, um, and it counts down. And the, I've seen some hints online that says set it to three more than the number of exposures on your roll because you're trying to get the, 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 the film as you load it on the camera. It's, you want to figure out where, exactly where you are, more or less, and then have it count down to and you're out of film. You can do double exposures by pushing in the rewind button, advancing the lever. It has a cable release screw on the shutter release, and this clamshell design really allows you to fit the camera easily into... A coat pocket. I mean, it's it's it, no, there's no uh, nothing. It's exposed to the elements except for the top deck there. With and it's beautifully finished with, le- with black leather. It says Kodak on the front. It's sort of an Art Deco little angular design. It's a really well designed camera. It's it's beautiful. And the thing is. These cameras, when you find them, um, often show signs of heavy use because mm-hmm. they were really good. They still are. They were really good cameras in their day. They were, I won't even call them a poor man's Leica because they were still pretty expensive. The thing is, they were, were carried around by a lot of people who enjoy doing photography. They have a tripod socket on the bottom. If you're doing any kind of uh, street photography or landscapes or whatever these cameras... They're really good good cameras to have um, if you want, especially for street photography. As I said, they make they don't make a sound that you can generally hear beyond a foot away. Kodak, of course, was always trying to improve things for the most part, and then they replaced it in uh, 1954 with the Retina 2C. It was a, a successor to the 2A, and this is the Retina. 2C with a little C. There are other different retina models, and some have a big C, and some of them other with different varying features. Some have uh, selenium meters in them and so forth, but the Retina 2C is, is still pretty simple. It also has a clamshell design. In this case, the um, the lens board is, is all metal, and there's not a, a, a leather bellows in behind the lens. Same range of shutter speeds, B to 1 500th. Um, the one I have here is a Schneider Xenon C, uh, 50 millimeter 2.8. But in the Retina 2C, the lens it does have interchangeable front elements you can you can purchase for um, to get uh, different focal lengths. I think. Oh wow! I don't have any other lenses for this one. Um, it's really easy to focus. There's a little knob on the side. 
the film advance, and of course, on this one, instead of being on the top deck, is on the bottom deck. And some people like that. It makes it pretty simple to shoot. Bottom feeders. That's what bottom I call feeders. them. Bottom yeah. feeders. Bottom feeders. <laughs> it also has a computer shutter. And the typical lens, again, is a 15 millimeter Xenon, but f2.8. It has a bright lines in the viewfinder, which is nice. The other big difference, though, it has a coupled EV scale. And, and so even though it does have discrete shutter speeds and um, apertures, you can couple them so if you want to change one thing, everything changes proportionally. And for some people that might be a hindrance, but I think if you get used to an EV scale, it makes it pretty easy to use. Um, Hasselblads have that. The 501, 500 CMs have that on there. Uh, yes, I was so I was doing some digging a, a, a while back on some some trade equipment, and I always came across, uh, especially Rolleflexes, because they were made at a time between uh, before and after the EVS, the exposure value system, and they were a part of the you know the creation of that. And it's it's a cool way for dating cameras. If you know when the EVS came along, you know that this camera is post 1951 or so, like when. Uh, when it starts to include it. And it's, you know, I'm kind of finally warming up to it. It's like, no, it just makes sense. Light doesn't change. It's this value. Just, you know, whatever combination you need within it. And if you have uh, any um, competent light meter, will have the EV scales mm-hmm. on them, too, so you can set it. You could also go online as an EV chart. Yes. It shows you EV and then the shutter and, like, a chart. It's like a scale. Yeah, you just right. find it a little And years ago yeah. when I had an EV camera, I would print it out and keep it in my back pocket. So, <laughs> uh, so unlike the, like, so the Kodak Pony, there were some Kodak Ponies and an Argus, which had EV numbers only. Kodak which, Pony. Yes. yes. A pony, I think it was, a, I forget which one it was. They didn't have the actual apertures and shutter speeds. They just had these EV yep. values. Olympus did that too. And 13, 14, and, 15. Right, and they make you want to pull your hair out because if you don't have that in front of you, they mean absolutely nothing. Well, to most people, they mean absolutely nothing. But anyway, you, you can uh, still use the regular, all the typical numbers on the, the periphery of the lens to, to set your exposures. It was made from 1954 to 57. They made over 136,000 of them. Mm. Just a couple. That's a few, yeah. They're all still made, made in Germany. And so people will ask me, which one's better, the, the 2C or the 2A? And I think the 2A is a lighter camera. The 2C is more refined in many respects. They're both compact. They're both easy to use. Um, they're both really well made, but you're more likely to find a Minty 2C than a Minty 2A. Minty. Minty. Um, this 2C I have here is very minty. I haven't shot with this one. I need to get it taken and have a CLA done on it. Because What's that mean? Clean, lubricated, and adjusted. Thank you. Because the shutter is a little slow. and But other than that, the glass is perfect. I, I think I'd like to have it worked on so it's a usable camera. Results are going to be on par with a Leica of the same period, in my opinion. Um, they have good optics. Schneider lenses are excellent. They are very quiet cameras to use. And they sync at all speeds with a flash. So you can do a lot of cool things with these cameras still. And they're, they're beautiful examples of craftsmanship. Um, they, didn't, they, didn't, uh, chintz, they didn't chintz on anything. Mm. These. And again, you close, that, uh, you close the front cover up and there's nothing that's sticking out with a lens for you to, grab, to catch on things. So mm-hmm. either one, the 2A, the 2C, if you find one that's in good working condition, hang on to it and shoot with it and enjoy it. It's a piece of... Uh, of uh, Kodak's uh, German uh, affiliations that they had cameras made there. And not only that, 
they just are a pleasure to shoot with. Thank you, Mark. You're welcome. Did you say 35 or 120? 35 millimeter. 35 millimeter. Yeah. Um, another thing that's, that I was going to talk about with some of these is that if you have one, oh yeah, I should also mention that the, the cameras open up differently. Uh, the 2A has this little side switch to open up the back. The, the 2C also, and much like some of the other cameras that they did with the Kodak um, Reflex, the opening and the opening switches on the bottom. You, you rotate it and push a little little button in, and the back pops open. Oh, very nice. They're very, they're very. I mean, look, look at this one. This looks like I don't think I ever ran a roll of film through this camera. Have you shot with it? Not the two C, but the two A I've had for about oh almost twenty years. Oh, hmm. uh, will you be shooting with the two C? Yeah, sure. after I get it, t- right. CLA done on, I will be. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you, Mark. Leslie, you look prepared to say something. Got a letter. Please. I have a letter. Take it away. Which letter is it? B. B. No. <laughs> what is this? Uh, Sesame Street. It is. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by the letter B. <laughs> the letter B. Well, this would be the letter C, because this is a letter from California Travis. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. California says... Just wanted to tell you I absolutely love the show and have been digging my way through all the episodes while riding my bicycle to and from work every day. Dig them. Dig them. I love your host of characters and the banter that ensures. Characters. <laughs> and wish my small town of Chico, California had a cool camera shop like Leslie Lazenby's where I could pick up film in person and ask annoying photography questions. <laughs> I do too. One, <laughs> one, one thing I'd like to hear more about, perhaps you've covered in previous podcasts and I haven't gotten to it yet, is how to push film and why. Mm. I know maybe a bit of a newbie question that I could find the answers to elsewhere, but I'd love to hear your crew, hear your crew really dig into it, especially on how to push some super low ISO uh, film that you sell in the FPP store. Yeah. Well, California, hold on to your paint pony, because we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> He said, uh, <laughs> it's paint pony. <laughs> oh, well. <Pushing> that paint pony. <laughs> it's, um, getting it to be a long day. I recently, California says, I recently purchased a Pentax K1000. Mm. Mm. Nice. Mm. From your web store. <laughs> Nicer. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Yes. After shooting digital work all day for my job, it feels so good to pull out a heavy, angular, super simple mechanical device and hear the clicks and feel the whines of a manual camera. I could not be happier. Well, maybe a little. I would love to find an F1.2 lens for this camera. Hold on to your paint ponies, kids. Um, Why? He says, as I shoot a lot of low-light punk rock shows. Okay, so now, California, you have just come up many pegs on my list because I love punk. And sometimes, he says, the flash is a bit much when I am right in someone's face. Once again. They punched out. Yeah. Hold on to this. Um, Rather than scouring eBay 
or wherever trying to find one of these lenses. I was wondering if you had a Kmount 1-2 in your warehouse. Actually, Mike has got 17 of them, and they're 1995, and they're... No, we don't. I uh, have one. Probably. But, but you mine. Know, but you know what? You're not going to need this lens when we get done today. Oh. You're just going to need more film and more c41 processing kits but anyway um that i could buy rather i'd rather buy it from you and help the fpp shoe keep up the awesome work i love the sound effects never be afraid to be yourselves and keep it weird speaking of keeping it weird yes um this is just between california and myself okay 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 (laughs) the dead milkmen yes the clash Yes. The Ramones, mm-hmm. the Sex Pistols, yes, post-punk. Cramps. Early, early post-punk. Depeche Mode. Yes. Yay, nay, the Smiths. Yes. My current infatuation, the Flaming Lips, they're considered post-punk. Right? Go with me this on this now. Oh, sure. so, sorry, I was, I was just compiling a, an amazing alliteration that sums up everything we just talked about. It, well, no, you don't have to, because that alliteration is coming up with me right now. Oh, well, And it is called... The film sensitivity basics or don't get pushed around. Oh, I was just going uh, post-punk Pentax pony paint pushing processing. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. And that is why you are my son. <laughs> this, is, this is good. We sometimes don't always think about the fact that we have, we've got people that have shot on here a long time, and they know their DINs from their ASAs and their ISOs. Huh. And then we've got people that are, I don't like the word, it's okay, newbies. You're just starting out. You have an mm-hmm. interest. And so sometimes we need to cover the basics because it may sound like we're talking over your heads. We really aren't and do not mean to. No. And we're going to start off at this point with, let's talk about film sensitivity. Well, today we call the sensitivity to film, we rate it and give it a name called an ISO. What ISO film are you using? Mm-hmm. International Standards Organization. Hasn't always been. In, mm-hmm. in my life, I do remember ASA. Me too. In but the FPP life, I remember ASA because we only started using ISO about, like, I don't know. I'll tell you. 20, 30 podcasts ago. Yeah. (laughs) But it goes back further. There was actually something called the Warnerke, the Hunter and Driftfield. I don't know what that was. The DIN. You guys remember DIN? Oh, DIN. DIN? That's the German Institute for Standardization. Yeah, they're so on the box. Deutsch. It said ASA slash DIN. Yes, it did. I'll get to that. <laughs> There's also the BSI, mm-hmm. British British standards, Weston, Weston yes, numbers, West, yes, General yeah. Electric numbers, uh, of course, the ASA, and the GOST, yep. which is the Russian equivalent. Our current is ISO. All those numbers do the same thing. They give us a base of how sensitive your film is to light. Sometime in the mid-1970s, ASA and DIN were combined into ISO. And if you have an old box of film, it's not uncommon to see it listed like that. Mm -hmm. They would go 400 ASA 27 DIN. Then they got down to 400 slash 27. And now it's 400. Right. And when someone says box speed, that's what they're talking about. It's the speed the manufacturer has designated for that film. Mm-hmm. And um, did you shoot it at box speed? Sure, yes or no, but you know what they're talking about. The lower the number, the less sensitive your film is to light and the more light that you need. 
I used to tell customers, think about it this way. The lower the number, the smaller the number, the smaller the eye, and small eyes need more light. The, the higher the number, the higher the sensitivity. You can stop action better because you can use faster shutter speeds, get greater depth of field because you can use larger numbers, which are smaller openings. Anything below 100 can usually considered a slow film, needing a lot of light. Between 100 and 200, medium speed. 400 starts usually are high speeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is it. That's the basics of film speed. I don't stop with the basics. Not worth doing unless it's worth overdoing. But sometimes you just don't have enough film speed to cover your light situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. In low light especially, you, you may not be able to handhold a camera securely. Sometimes you may not have... Um, uh, you may have too much light. If you've got an older camera, that shutter speed may not go over 500 or even 250th of mm-hmm. a second. That can be a problem. Can. It can, yeah. We have a myriad of film speeds available to us today. Don't um, give me this crap about film is dead. <laughs> because we have a lot of film out there. So many that are general purpose, more than any other. We have just a, a fantastic list of that. And... It would be great to have all these choices in our camera bags available to us at any time, but alas, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. So there are tricks to making your existing stock that you have with you work in difficult light situations. Two of the most common things are something called pushing film and pulling film. Pushing film essentially is underexposing your film, mm-hmm. and you compensate with a longer developing time or a special developer. Example would be a 400 speed film. You set your camera to 1600. It's gonna give you a little faster shutter speeds, two stops faster, and that just may be what you need to stop action or to be able to hand hold without showing your own movement. We don't often pull film. So I do. Right out of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, pulling film, of course, is taking that same 400 speed we may shoot it at 100 mm-hmm. we then compensate with our developer and we can tame contrast a little bit mm-hmm. we can smooth the grain down a little bit and get some very nice advantages now sometimes we get into the situation where we have set our camera on 100 and changed and put 400 in and have forgotten about it oh, stoops yeah. <laughs> Who would do something like that? Everyone, every one of us sitting here has done it. Yep. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. If that happens, you usually discover it mid-roll. Mm-hmm. Yep. Dang it. Don't stop now. Don't stop now. Continue, continue shooting it the way it is. Process it accordingly. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to be fine. So, classic example of this um, inappropriate, nope, not enough, <laughs> not inappropriate light, not having enough light. Classic example is you are indoors and there just simply isn't enough light. So, you can handhold it. I, Mike Rosso can hold one full second. Me, I got to have a 60th. Get a freaking tripod. That's right. <laughs> you can get a freaking tripod. Uh, you can add a flash, but you mm. probably don't have one with you. 
or you simply may not want to use it. It may not cover your distance, but the result is you're not going to get faster, sh- faster shutter speeds without making some difference that you may not even be able to stop even the most basic of motion. So get a tripod. Use a faster film. If you don't have a faster film, let's push our film. 400, set it to 800, set it to 1600. Do the whole roll like that. Mm-hmm. We've underexposed it. Now we have to compensate with our developer. If you process your own film, you can use as a general guide, if it's a one-stop push, 400 to 800, 1.5 times more developing time. Don't have to worry about changing your temperature, and none of the other steps change. Pre-wet, water stop, stop, whatever you use, fixer, those stay the same. Just change that developing time. If you go two stops, 2.25 times longer in your developer. Three stops. Whoa. Whoa, paint pony. (laughs) It's uh, 4.5 times longer. There is also... There's actually two. I don't even mess with one. One one isn't enough. It's a special developer that is made specifically for pushing films. And typically, high-speed film, like 400, pushes better than low-speed films. If you're going to do this, you know, it's not worth doing unless it's worth overdoing. But that special developer is called Diafine. I love Diafine. Mm-hmm. It is so easy to use. It just spells out, here's the films that work with this, here's the ISOs, the developing is all the same. I talk a little bit more uh, extensively on how to and why I like um, Diafine in a very popular podcast, Mm -hmm. Podcast 126 here on FBP. So why don't we just push our film all the time? Why don't we? Well, there is a caveat to pushing film. Mm -hmm. It increases your grain. Mm. We're abusing it a little bit. Shadow detail, not as much. We're going to lose some shadow detail. We're going to increase our contrast. Part of this does not come from the pushing action itself. When you think about natural low-light conditions, they're typically unevenly lit Mm -hmm. there's a single light source or a very bright light source the shadows go dark easily the highlights burn out easily and um meter for your mid-tones and i am going to turn the floor over to matt for just a second did you have a comment no i just wanted to comment like no you're doing awesome with the pushing like my biggest thing I still have troubles with it at times. I've gotten very, very lucky in the past with pushing. But the one thing I keep coming back to, and I'm pretty sure you had talked me through it the first couple of times I was having problems with pushing film, was the film can't work with any information you didn't give it during exposure. There you go. If it didn't excite those silver halides, you're not getting it on the film, no matter how long you process it. You want it as basic? Mm -hmm. Film don't make light. I like that. Film doesn't make light. Unless you burn it. Torch it, yes. (laughs) Well, we've just recently been blessed with maybe not having to push film so much Mm -mm. with Kodak's reintroduction of TMZ or T-Max P3200, both nomenclatures. (laughs) I didn't use it a lot the first time around. 
it's amazing. I love to go around in these really low light situations and I'm just carrying my camera, not a monopod, not a freaking tripod. <laughs> Sometimes you can't use tripods in no, situations. No, many times you can't. Yeah. So pretty sweet that they've done this. There again, though, you've got to have that roll of film in your camera bag. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, pulling film can have the reverse effect. It can reduce grain and contrast. Mm-hmm. Rarely myself have pulled film intentionally. All right, let's do a little fact and fiction here. Fact and fiction of pushing film. Very first one that we just mentioned. Film does not make light. Fact. Fact. Pushing film really does not make it more sensitive to film. Fact. That's that's fact. Um, We're simply underexposing and forcing it out with developing. Here's a fact. The image quality will not be as fine as shooting at box speed. But you want grain or do you want blurred subjects? Exactly. There you go. I can't hand hold this. There's going to be a mess when I get them back. I'll take a little more grain, maybe a little more contrast. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I've got my images. Fact mm-hmm. or fiction. Um, I haven't really mentioned, but I've been primarily talking about black and white films. Yes. Color films can be pushed and pulled as well. People have a tendency, I think, to push black and white more because we, we figure we can do more on our own with it. We, we hand process our, that ourselves, but color processing is easy. It has become more of a necessity because labs are closing down. How to know when you take a roll of color film into your lab, are they really pushing their film? Well, there's a couple ways to know. Typically, they're probably not changing that developing time. You can, but they're probably not. If they're running film all piggyback together, literally one taped onto another, mm-hmm. and they roll through uh, processing rollers, that means your film can't be attached to anything else because it has to be in the developer, and there's more than one roll in there at a time. Right. That means they're going to screw up somebody else's. So that roll has to run separate. If it's a dip-and-dunk type of machine, they literally raise up over the tanks on racks and come back down into the next. There again, your roll of film has to ride in there separately. You're going to be charged more. Usually double. At least. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to know that they've actually push-processed your film. Now, what they may do is say, fine, make a note on here. They shot this 400 at 800, and they'll compensate for it when they do your scans or make your prints. Films like Portrait 400 have a huge, beautiful latitude. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, the corrections are made there. They make a note, charge you normal, probably just compensating for it. Should you choose to develop your own C41, There are instructions right in our kit that tells you how to push your film and how to change that first developer. Then again, there again, I don't say first developer, the developer step. There's not two color developers in this. And it's a change in time. Now, what I have found when I chemically push color film, I get color shift. Yes. But it's always been to my advantage because like California, I used to shoot a lot of bands. And it was tungsten lit. And when I would push my color film, it got cooler, and I got normal colors. It's like filtering it. So it was a great advantage to that. Yes, there again, there's going to be a little bit of a grain increase, but typically almost not as much as black and white. And that's 
pretty much, um, I'll give you a little idea that if you do your color film, a one-stop push takes your times at about 1.25. So we, we start off at three and a half minutes for our, our developer. Mm-hmm. It's going to go up to 4.40, four minutes, 40 seconds. It's hardly a penalty. So easy to do. That's a one-stop push. A two-stop push is five minutes, 25 seconds. Everything else stays the same. That's the pushing and pulling and sensitivity at film. I would ditch that flash for shooting bands. I would shoot them available light. Some people make their living at lighting some of these stages. Mm -hmm. Take advantage of it. I don't think you need to use a flash. Uh, I think you can make an adjustment with your film, and I think you're going to really like your results even better. There you go. That's great. Thank you, Leslie. If you have any questions, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Oh, I got a Matt, question. I got a question. Yes. Hey, so, you know. What time like, is Mr. Lee? Oh, <laughs> hopefully soon. Yes. Is every developer good for pushing? No. No. So I can't just use, like, whatever, I, whatever what? I'm using? Every developer can be used for pushing. But not every developer should be. There you go. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. That's all, yeah. Um, let's see. You know what? I found that good old D76, mm-hmm. pretty awesome for pushing. That's what I've pushed with before. That's probably really one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I used to run, I had a magic recipe that I have sweared I cannot share with anyone. I used to shoot Tri-X at 6400. And it was a wow. it was a D seventy six based process that I went through here. Nice. And at that time, I was probably using Microdoll X and Microdoll X. No, uh, uh-uh. uh, not for push processing. It's a speed reducing development. Yes, exactly. So increasing the time kind of gets you to normal. Yep. So you are correct. There are there again the wonders and the joys of black and white, a little research, a little experimentation, fine tuned to some beautiful stuff. Thank you, Leslie. Sure. Okay, great. Let's take a break and talk about Aunt Linda. Oh yeah. Aunt Linda. Aunt. Uh we'll take a break and we'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Tonight I'd like to show you one of the world's great cameras, the magnificent new Retina Reflex by Kodak. This camera is for the professional and the advanced amateur. It's been acclaimed both here and abroad as one of the world's really great cameras. Now here's another great Kodak camera, but in a completely different way. This is the Pony 2, a wonderful camera for people who are just getting started in color slides. Kodak Engineering, the engineering that produced this Retina Reflex, has made the Pony 2 so amazingly simple to use that now you can get color slides every bit as easily as snapshots. All you do to focus the pony is turn this ring to close-ups, groups, or scenes, and you can be sure you'll get beautiful slides. Thousands of people, including the Nelson family, have found the pony camera a real pleasure to use. It costs only $26.75, or as little as $3 down. Why not ask your Kodak dealer to demonstrate it for you? Just tell him you saw it on tonight's Ozzy and Harriet show. Hey, we're back. Hey, so when I was a child, (laughs) when I was in eighth grade, uh, my Aunt Linda gave me my first um, SLR camera. It was a Canon FT. At the time, she was shooting uh, for Jersey City State College, her college for the yearbook. And when she graduated college, little known to me, I didn't know this till last week, uh, she upgraded uh, by the time the uh, late 70s rolled around. Uh, she upgraded to a Canon AE-1, 
And that's why I got the Canon FT. I didn't know about the Canon AE-1. All I knew about was the Canon FT because, for me, a kid in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, that was my world. It was just a simple lens. You have to, on the side of the camera, you press a lever, and there's a little pin inside the eyepiece. And you, all I knew was you had to get the pin in the round hole, and your exposure was good. <laughs> I didn't know a relationship between shutter and an f-stop or what that was going to do i just knew that the combination was going to get me a good exposure Mm -hmm. and as a kid hey that's what i did we called that the donut right (laughs) get the little stick in the donut yeah lucky you my first slr was an exa 2a oh my (laughs) so um last week i was visiting my parents and aunt linda was over and she brought a she said oh i found a camera in my closet and it's in the original once was a le- some kind of leather case but as you can see it's been oh throw that case out yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, sentimental journey aside throw it out I mean, this camera hasn't been shot uh since Oh, gosh. I, I don't even know. 1981, maybe 82. Uh, I'm not that familiar with the, with the, what I call the straight Canon AE-1. I, have, I own a Canon AE-1 program. By uh, the early 80s, when I was in high school, I graduated from the FT. My parents bought a Canon AE-1 program for me for either Christmas or my birthday. Uh, so I never knew this camera existed. Here it is, and we're gonna—I'm gonna hand it to Leslie. Oh, and we're gonna see if we can uh, get this thing going. Great. Let me see if we got a battery on me. Hey, just have a battery <laughs> on me. All right, keep it going, and I'll work on this here. I'll keep you updated. <gasps> There's a battery in it. Oh, it doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. No, nope, well, work. I know it doesn't work. I do too yeah. now. Uh, Canon's uh, the Canon AE1. Has like a little battery tester that goes beep 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 beep. How's that? Beep 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 beep. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh, we have to turn it on. Yeah. Now do the beep beep beep. That's a winder. Uh oh. Could be dead. Dead. We're not done yet. We are not. Do you want to smack it on the concrete? No, I refuse. No Delzels. Oh, Yay. nice. Let me get a shorty, a roll of film. Wait, wind it. I want. Let's let's hear it. Sounds good. Oh, oh sounds good. No, no wheeze at all. Yeah, no, no that wheezing. That sounds really good. Now, the Canon AE-1 is a shutter priority camera. That's correct. That's never been my favorite. I've always been an aperture, aperture. priority kind of guy. Yeah, but, you know, it's just you know, it's possible. It's just one or the other, but still. I'm gonna roll a 500T. Ooh, yeah, that'd be nice in here. All right, Michael Rossa was expecting the beep 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 beep. Yes. The AE1. It doesn't have. It does not have the audible check. No beeps. Oh. The check is on the inside by the little needle dropping straight down. So you press oh, it. Oh no, kidding. It. Dang. Beep. Bloop, bloop, down it flops. It's great. It's perfect. So can you tell us, our listeners, a little bit about this camera? Yes, I can. It very much looks like the Canon AE-1P. What is the difference? The difference is this only has manual and shutter priority. 
So you need to have the lens with the A on it. You need to set it to the A for that shutter priority. When you do that, a partial press on the shutter button will tell you on the inside what the shutter speed's going to be. Oh. If you feel that's acceptable, great. If not, go into manual and do an exposure equivalent. So you put your lens on A, and yes. then you choose your shutter. It chooses the shutter. I don't think we have to change this. Hold on here. Hold on here. This well, is literally just thrown in my lap. Well, it, yes, it was. But if it's shutter priority, you would pick the shutter. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Right? right. Yes. And then, then it does the aperture. Then it does the aperture, and that's because you put it into the A mode on the right. lens. And right. if the shutter, is, if it's not agreeing with you or there's not enough light or it's off the chart, it, if you look inside, it's going like, to blink or something, you, uh, right? There is a red blinking LED at the bottom. Okay. And it is blinking right now because we are indoors, and I have put it on 1,000. Of a second. That was uh, my priority. What ISO is the camera set the on? The camera is set to 100. Oh, let's set it to 500. Let's do that. No, let's set it to 800. Well, let's do that, too. Oh, we're going to do you're a little push. push. do the push? Well, this is Kodak uh, 500T. It's a vision, color okay. vision right. stock. So you only push a half a stop. It's so versatile. When it comes to color, me personally, I don't push pill. I don't think about anything. I just choose an ISO between 400 and 1,000. And just go with it. And just go with it. Because so you would like this on 800. And here is a shorty, a 14 exposure roll. Okay. You know, my least favorite thing about the AE1s, the E1Ps, and this is just a small gripe. Yes. The eye cup and the door. Yeah. So come on. The door. Come oh, like on. Hit you in the eye. Well, it's just, well no, it always gets in the way. Glasses wearers, that's for sure. And you got to No, well, the eye cup here is also bent. Well, it is. But no, the it eye cup always right gets off. in the way. Out of the way. Come on, yeah. Cannon. Actually, are, I don't want to put film in it yet. I'd like to run it through a great. few tests. Is and how it, are the seals? These they, seals are not bad at all. They are gummy, though. Oh. So if you get a little, little see, not, not bad. They're still going to do their job. The seals are basically the, the fuzzy stuff. That's... <laughs> The when you open your camera door in the back, keeps the light, keeps the, the light, keeps the dark in. Yeah, keeps yeah. the dark in. Yeah. Now, for a camera that literally has been sitting in a closet for, God, 35 years, you got to give these cameras companies credit Absolutely. for making a camera. And this is, you know, uses a battery, some electronics in there. I mean,. It's like, it sounds as, probably as good as it was the day that my Aunt Linda threw it in the closet. I wish I, I just, could look and sound as good at that age. <laughs> right, yeah. I just did a shutter speed check on it, which I do by ear. And I start off at 1,000, and you really cannot tell the difference between human ear camp, between 1,000 and 500. Nope. So, but when I check these manually like, like this, I'll do 1,000. You have to get then, uh, a greyhound in here to get that. Exactly. No, something she's way lazier. She's yeah. still asleep. Uh, <laughs> I just jump it every two, every two steps. So a thousand. Moving through the gears. Yeah, moving through the gears. I, then I go to one two fiftieth. Uh huh. Go to one sixty. Sixtieth is where you start to hear yep. the difference. Fifteenth. This oh, yeah. is sounding okay. great. Now I'm down to a quarter. Nice. Yep. yep. Okay. Here we are. Here it is. This should be one full second. Nice. There we go. This is good. this is sweet. And this actually has two full, two full seconds times two. And nice. it's very good too. And it does have a B setting. So the next thing I'm gonna do is just to make sure that it is stopping the lens down. Mm -hmm. oh. It's gonna require me to be on B, open the back up, 
Look through. And I have, uh, I'm going to need to fire it and look through it. Get that double click. So you open Perfect. the back door of the camera and yes. you're looking right through, through the, shutter. the shutter. Correct. Through the lens mm-hmm. from the back. Mm-hmm. And you're, you want to see that. Uh, that your lens is stopping down. Right. Right now I put it on the 2.8, which is the wide part. I want to see a nice big opening now, wh- when I look through here. Now, why did you take the hot shoe? Because I'm going to test your flash sink, too. Oh. So this is going to work right here. Oh, but okay. I have the... Do you know if the Canon AE-1 works with the speed light? Like, is this made for this? Look at the bottom. How many pins? Three. Look at that. Three pins. Oh, my goodness. Ain't life grand. <laughs> but there's no program mode on this. No, but what it's going to do is tell you when your flash is ready. It may tell you that you had enough light. Oh. They're talking. It may give you a green. If and it, was... it should set. Well, we'll see if it kicks in and oh, overrides automatically your Automatically set the shutter. I'll know that here in a minute. Right now, I'm still checking your f-stops. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. That's why they call me the doctor. <laughs> Actually, if the, if the lens is on A and you put the flash on it and it makes the contacts, it's possible that we don't know. We're going to find out. We're going to find out. So. You're very good at this, doctor. I'd love to cut that off surgically. All right. So I'm done with that. Passed shutter speed test. Passed Check. aperture test. Check. Check. Battery. Check. Check. Let's let's do the flash. Last one. Electronic flash. Electronic flash, mm-hmm. doctor. Here you go. And I wouldn't necessarily, for a basic flash, it doesn't have to be a dedicated, but Mike just happens to have a dedicated one here because... What Mike, dedicated mean? Dedicated means it talks to the camera and the camera mm-hmm. talks back. It may tell you your flash is ready to fire without taking your eye out of the viewfinder and watching the back of the flash. It could easily tell you right through the viewfinder. It can tell you... Not always. This is just some of the things they do that uh, you had enough light to hit mm-hmm. your film at your settings. First thing I wanted, but you can use a regular single pin flash on these. Absolutely. Doesn't mean it's manual. It can be an automatic flash. But it'll still fire it in a manual right. fashion. Right. It's just simply yeah. not a dedicated flash. Is there also flash. a PC port on the front? Sometimes. Oh, right yep. there. PC port. So you can do manual, depth of field preview, mm-hmm. self timer. Mm-hmm. It's got like all the cool bells. and Oh, this is clean. It is. The bottom of it looks like it's never been on a tripod. Fantastic. Yep. Those never-ready cases are awful things, but if you have oh. a camera banging around somewhere, they protect it. It's like a mummy being in a tomb. It yeah. is. I just yeah. say thank you, Aunt you Linda. Case? Never, never, ready. never ready. Never oh, ready. Oh, I thought you meant sarcophagus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this came in its original case, and yeah, all, I mean... All the look look at the case. Yeah. The case has taken all the abuse. It looks like an old bicycle seat. Yes. <laughs> it does. I don't want to sit on that. <laughs> it's taken all the abuse over the years. Speaking of abuse. Yes. Those bats. I do believe oh. I could stand a set of batteries to Some test juice. this flash oh, with. Got the first one, I know the rest. Contacts look pretty good. I'm not even gonna clean them. We're gonna see. Oh, that's my flash. We're gonna see how it no no. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're not testing the flash. <laughs> Uh, well, kind of. Can we get that for you? I got it. Ooh! Yeah, I got it. Got that wine. Got the wine. You got a thing if you don't have the wine. Yeah, back in the early FPP days, when I, when I first got my, my Canon AE-1 program out of the closet in 2008, I went eBay crazy. I bought... I probably have five Speedlight flashes, an extra AE-1, <laughs> a black body AE-1. What does it tell us? Oh, we know it works. Is the shutter speed on like a 60th? Uh-uh. Should it be? Uh-huh. Is there like a, like, is the There's 60th a, is green a, or something? Got a lightning bolt. Oh. 
did not. It's um, it's not talking. It's talking. Oh, what's it saying now? It's talking. It's Once giving, it was on. It's giving me the. Oh, I'm going to do a, a different talk here. Once it was on the lightning bolt. No, it actually it did that before. Oh, okay. Because the flash is on. This flash unit that Mike gave me has two automatic modes and a manual. One automatic mode is for a shorter distance or quicker recycling time. Okay. The second automatic simply pushes it out a little farther, takes a little bit more battery juice because this is a thyristor Ooh. flash unit. Thyristor also means that it doesn't do a complete dump of your energy each time. So if it's oh. a short distance, you get really quick. There's a buffer. It keeps it keeps your batteries. You don't lose all your energy, and it just goes. Like, like I ha- like I've lost all my energy. <laughs> yeah, it goes. It simply goes over to your next charge. So if it's a close distance, you can get some pretty quick recycling time. Mm-hmm. But being that it has those two automatic modes, those require two different f stops, and because this is a dedicated flash, I'm leaving my lens on A. Mm-hmm. 60s with the lightning bolt. As I change the automatic modes on the back of the flash, it is changing the f-stop on the inside of the camera. That's part of its little dedication. It's dedication to Mike Rosso. So now we're going to fire it, and we're going to make sure that it truly is setting the camera at a 60th. When I do that, if I open the back and watch this, and I get a full round circle, I know it is fully synced. Mm -hmm. If I would happen to set this faster, when I do this and I fire it, I only see half or a partial of the circle. Faster I go, the less of the circle I see. And then I know it's non-syncing. This is syncing just fine. You have to be on the lightning bolt on your shutter. On your shutter, you should be on the lightning bolt because that's that's the way it, that's the way the camera is. Simply put, yeah, that's your flash sync. So yeah. incorrect. What do you mean? This sets this camera to a sixtieth of a second when no the flash what. is turned on. Oh, nice. Interesting. I turn the flash off, but still oh, leave it on there. Oh, the lightning bolt is for it, non-dedicated flashes. Exactly. Now it's firing at a thousand because even though the flash is on, I have turned it off. I turn it on, it kicks the camera. As soon as it's up, it kicks the camera into 60th of a second. Nice. And what does it do to your, if your, uh, your aperture, your f-stop's on A for auto, That's exactly, it chooses it. It's exactly where it should be. It sets your lens for you. And it tells you on the inside which, what the f-stop is going to be, but it confirms it on the back dial because you can use this flash on non-Canon cameras. Mm-hmm. And it will work in a non-dedicated mode, but an automatic mode, which is wonderful. Aunt Linda's camera is perfect. Wow. It is perfect. The lens is clean. There is absolutely... The only final test that I would do on this is a very critical test. I would put a roll of film in it with the back open. I would advance it and put a little bit of pressure on the film to make sure that it's has a strong winding it's mechanism. It's yeah. not common to be weak in these cameras. Right. I see no reason to, to uh, test that. So, so there you go. Well, thank it's you, Leslie. Perfect. Now, next to Atlanta's camera is yes. Michael's camera, which yes. is the AE1 program. Yes. What were the upgrade differences? Program mode. That's it. That's it. That's Program's it. Program's great. I do everything. You don't have to do anything. Program mode. And if you, same, same thing with this. If you wanted it. It's like they poured these out of the same plastic mold. Except they put a another here. another. Uh, they updated the wine. Yep. Put program on the front. Put program on the front. But yep. you see this, the same button system. And Mark, oh, you ever own any of these? Not those two. I I've never had an, an A1 or, uh, or or AE1 or the AE1 program, but I have had the A1, 
which okay. has many more modes. And I'll load it up with your 500T. Okay. Sweet. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Let's put these side by and side. And it became a very popular camera. Oh, my oh, these, God. These were extreme. Yeah. At the time, these King. were hot. I worked at a camera shop that did not have the Canon dealership. Oh. I hate it. How's that go, Leslie? <laughs> Hi. You're the Canon one. Didn't um, Cheryl Teagues? I believe so. She was yes. the spoke. Do that camera Cheryl Teagues has? No, we've got the one Bill Cosby sells. Great. How about Michael Landon? Got that one. You know. The cans- or, or was Cheryl Teagues the OM10? I don't know. Which I don't know. We'll go to YouTube. Yeah. Cannons were hot. They were. Matt. They were. They were the Nikon's were not. <laughs> they they were the camera for the Olympics. Oh the my God! Yes. Camera, the Olympics. Yes. Like, yes. yes. Who made it, this decision? It, yes. Uh, the, yeah. I mean, they were. It was a popular camera, mm-hmm. and I would say probably at the time one of the best-selling SLRs. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially the program. But at the Olympics, it was the Nikon's doing all the professional shooting at that time. And so they when were they, sponsored, but yeah, at the Olympics, yeah. the Nikon's were shooting. But then no, once ones. EOS came out, yeah, then they ruled that for quite a while. EOS did. Yes, because they they came out with some just like like look at that one N that you were talking yeah. about and and uh, they were Nikon their um, autofocus cameras then the Pro line um, I swear that they did not keep up with the innovations that Canon was doing. Okay, you are. Loaded for bear with 500T set on 800. You are advanced up to number one. Your lens is on A. The rest is up to you. Thank and I you. have double-checked that yes. it is threaded correctly. Wow, this is very exciting, folks this listening. beautiful camera. I'm shooting with Aunt Linda's camera. Been closeted for 35-plus <laughs> years. Entombed in its original Canon case. It looks brand new. It does. I don't think this... Got a lot of action, quite frankly. Um, the FT I inherited was, by the time I inherited it, was ready, well used. Uh-huh. I think she bought this, shot it a few times, and then graduated, <laughs> then uh, flunked out, went to summer school with a point-and-shoot camera. <laughs> That's what I think happens. That's it. You, you know what Aunt Linda started shooting with? This, she threw in the closet and got her Minolta 110. Is that what she went to, you think? Absolutely. She had one of the more advanced Minolta 110 mm-hmm. cameras, which she was using up until just a few years ago. Wow. Yeah. So when we come back, we're going to do a quick book review, and then we're out of here going to Lee Sushi in Wayne, New Jersey. Uh-oh. The Blix is exploding. Oh, that's right. We, we're going to have one also quick segment regarding... Exploding Blix. Of course, Blix is a step. It's a a chemical and a step in our very popular FPPC41 kit. This is the kit where you process your own color film. We'll be right back. Canon is proud to be the official 35mm camera of the 1984 Olympics. Like gold medalist Jennifer Chandler, it takes precision to perform at this level. Here, the Canon AE-1 program performs, capturing Chandler's high-diving artistry through Canon's high technology. And it's so simple, 
You flip for it. Canon's AE-1 program. So advanced. It's simple. Enter the Canon Olympic Go for Gold contest. You could win this exciting 84 Pontiac Trans Am. Hey, we're back. Uh, professor is in. <laughs> With our book review, oh, Professor O'Brien. Okay, okay. Well, uh, a while back, I was on a little trip to... Uh, North Carolina, and I stopped at this bookstore in Asheville called Malaprop Bookstore, and they had, and I like going and play in, in these little independent bookstores and see what they have for photography books, and they had a bunch of these on the shelf, and it's a book called Patty Smith Camera Solo, and it intrigued me. I knew that she had been using a Polaroid for many years, okay. and as a uh, an associate of Robert Mapplethorpe, I know that uh, he got her interested in doing photography. And this is Patty Smith, Patty Smith, the, the singer. singer. Yes, mm-hmm. P A T T I. And so I opened up the the book up, and I, and I like the images in here. I mean, I, I bought it just because a number one, it's a book of Polaroid photographs. Sweet. Oh, so. And because it's a book of Polaroid photographs, they've reproduced them in the book at the same exact size as the originals. Lovely. Very I noticed the size of the book. I thought it was yeah, charming. It's a, it's a charming little book. Um, it has an interesting little interview with her in the beginning. Um, it was actually had it, it was published in conjunction with the exhibition she had at the Wadsworth Museum. The Wadsworth Anthenium Museum of Art in Hartford, Connecticut. And the exhibition and catalog were generously supported by the Robert Mapplethorpe Foundation, Calvin Klein, and other foundation and others. And it's published in association with Yale University Press in, uh, let's see, what year? 2011 is a copyright in this book. But these these are all new, you could call these um, new old stock books they had on the shelf. But um, as much as I like this, because these are very personal pictures. These are photographs she took on her travels and things that interested her or struck chords in her, um, in her brain of things that, that she likes. Um, and also she was interested in... Uh, various figures in literature and so forth, and she photographed the places where they lived or were buried. My only complaint about this book, I mean, I like the images, but I think the paper stock they chose could have been a little bit... Uh, I mean, Polaroids, the black and white Polaroids are glossy images. They did not varnish coat it. Um, it's hard to say. It absolutely is not. And, varnish coat would have been fantastic. And so these are um, a little soft, I should, I would mm-hmm. say, in their reproduction. But, Sons of bitches. But I like the tones. <laughs> but it, it could. They don't um, give you the sharpness that some of the Polaroid originals that the originals had. You know who I know who paints who uh, paints prints a nice Polaroid picture. Who? Leslie Lazenby. Oh, she. Got She's it. got it down. I got it downtown. So it's one of those little finds you, you know. I, you know, I come across in a bookstore somewhere, and I, I'm glad I picked it up. It's a, uh, it's just fun seeing these. They're taken by obviously a, a notable uh, persona in the in the uh, entertainment world, but 
and they have literally nothing to do with her with her as a singer, but they have a lot to do with her as Patti Smith, the individual. Yes. But a lot of times people that are singers or creative people they like are. that they are. do flow over into well, other areas of art. And look at all the actors that have uh, well-known for their photography and so forth. So it, yes. it's, uh, I mean, it's a creative endeavor, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's also like looking at someone's photo album of, of some of their favorites, you know. So uh-huh. I, I really like it. It's a pers- it is a personal camera solo. It's a very personal camera journey with her. And mm-hmm. uh, if you see it somewhere in the library or online, you know, pick it up. You might like it. Sweet. That's it? That's it. That's it. Thank you very much. When was this published? 2011. So it's still available in stock. Um, I, fig- I think I paid 25 bucks for it. Oh, okay. That opening image right there, isn't that lovely? It is. There were some really I nice images in there. Perused. Oh, perused. According to the Canon AE-1 Aunt Linda's, it's too dark. Like, like go to shoot a, just a shot of Mark O'Brien. Check it out. I, by the way, I switched the lens. There was a 2.8. Yes. 28 millimeter, which, uh, getting back to Aunt Linda's camera really fast... It came with in the tomb that she encased it in. It had a twenty-eight millimeter lens. Oh, Those are sweet. Which tells me that in her closet is the fifty. Mm. Has to be. Has to be. It came with a fifty. They, yes. Reading glasses. That was the normal lens. Yeah. Too dark in here for uh. Would the would the uh, f-stop say? I adjusted to a sixtieth of a second. Stupid me. Stupid. Dumb. Let me, Dumb. Let me look through that. Dumb. Mike, let me look through that. Yes! 28. Hit me with that. 20. It's not 28. It's 50. Oh, there was a 28. Oh, I was going to say. No, 28 like, like my favorite. Right, but really? I didn't really. Yes. Love Check the meter. Love it. No. A tw- I, I, I put the 28 on my uh, T60. There you yes. go. Oh, well. You're like, oh, I don't want to look through that. It's a great lens, sad camera. Dr. Yeah. Sweats there. Is it the one made by Cosina, the T60? Yes. Yeah. Uh, 28 is sweet. You like 28? And it's, Not, yes. It was so bright and crisp to focus over here. It was really, it was nice. Is there it film nice. in this? Fil- yes. No. Oh, no, no film. Which one? I'll Mark, hold up, hold up, open that book. I'm going to put a shorty in it. Great. Great. Go grab a shorty. <laughs> when I shoot a great champion like Ben Crenshaw, history can happen at any time. And that's why I stay ready all the time with my Canon AE-1. The zoom in puts me right where the action is. So if Ben gets that one miracle shot... I get it, too. Then you try the Zoom. Sure. Even with the Zoom, the Canon AE-1 is as easy as focus and click. The incomparable Canon AE-1. So advanced, it's simple. Hey, folks, uh, we're going to have one last segment on today's show, What Show, and then we go on our big... (laughs) Then everything happens. We go to Lee Sushi, we go on a big summer break, we go to the FPP Walking Workshop in Finlay, Ohio. I relax in the sun, even though I don't go out. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both, brother. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, we've got an email, and this is not the first time I heard about this. One of the uh, packets you get in your home C41 kit, by the way, I encourage everyone... Uh, don't forget to set your ISO and all that shit on there. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's um, aperture priority. Oh, great. So you put the wheelie on P mm-hmm. program, and yep. then you choose your aperture. Cool. You that's know great, because he's never used a camera before. Right. You know oh. what I should do a video for you for? What? My method for properly loading a camera. The so that you oh, I have no idea how to load a camera, folks. And there's a correct way to do it, because people get their fingers underneath it. Anyway. Anyway, before we get into the blicks, yes. Yes. folks at home... 
I think you think that I know something <laughs> about film photography. <laughs> so I just want you guys to know, because, you know, you know, we're, we're pals. We're all, I mean, you guys are listening. We're family. Yeah, we're family. You know, you send me a question. I pass it to Matt. I give it to Leslie. They're much more technically experienced. You know, I just kind of grab and go. I know what I know, and what I know, I know well. But I don't follow any directions. I don't read any books. You know, I just kind of just get it done. There you go. Matt's, it, Matt is now holding an amazing... As a matter of fact, I need to get a shot of Matt holding oh my God, the that amazing. camera. Look at him. Oh. It's just a love fest. <laughs> he just wants evidence that I'm not holding a Nikon. By the way, <laughs> yeah. this, is what a, this is what our walking works. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Clear. Look this way, Matt, when you're done with that. Go. Oh. T60. We're clicking in here like <sighs> clicking away like fools here. It's like the walking workshop. Oh my where gosh. Everyone's just on the street oh. and shooting on the yes. each other. Yep. yep. So anyhow. It's just like stop the madness. FPPC forty one yep. kit. I highly encourage everyone to grab one. Grab a tank and some reels. Develop your own color. It's so easy. One easy. of the components is called Blix. You have your you have your developer packet, yes. which you mix. You have your Blix. Packet bleach fix, bleach yeah, fix, and then you have a stabilizer packet. Yes. Mm-hmm. In the industry, referred to as stab. Stab. St- I call it stab. There you go. I actually, when I'm developing, I actually say it out loud. I go stab. Stab is <laughs> <laughs> on top of the fridge. Now the blicks could get a little fizzy, and that's what we're going to hear about. Yeah. Take it, yeah. take it, take it away, Doctor Labezi. Lazenby. Lazenby. Yeah, that's right. This is patient number four. Mm. Patient says, I've had a bit of an incident with the powder C41 kit. Let me first say that I have developed maybe 30 or 40 rolls of C41. So I am not an expert, nor am I a newbie. But this time, I used the powder. I used a rotating device for my Patterson tank. And maybe you already suspect how this story ends? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. To keep it short, the Blix stage blew the top off the Patterson tank, spilling Blix all over my desk and the floor of the darkroom. And it happened approximately three minutes into the rotation. And that stuff is blood red. It, it looks is. like a murder went on. It yes. Does. It's kind of like, so, like a school volcano project. It does. That's what I'm imagining is happening. Because yeah. since I used a roller, I had 400 milliliters spare blicks that I put straight in, making sure the lid was 100% on tight before rotating it again. Saving, saving his film here and refilling it. I started mopping up the blicks. And maybe after another two minutes, I heard a big pop. I was under the table, and the rest of the blicks came rushing out. I managed to keep maybe two or 300 milliliters in the tank and started inverting. He means inverting for the agitation. Right. Not his whole mental attitude. <laughs> <laughs> Stood on my head. It took two extra minutes of blicks to be sure. But it seemed like it all, it all worked out. And that's, that's fine on that blicks. That timing is a minimum You don't want to go under that, but you can go over without a problem. But as you might suspect, I am pretty sad since all my blicks is gone after just two rolls. And not to mention, my 
Darkroom looks like a set from Dexter. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know that roll film developing in a Patterson tank might not be a good idea with fresh chemistry from powder. Well, that's not ex exactly kind of why it happened. It wasn't necessarily the Patterson tank. It wasn't necessarily because it was fresh, although all part of that keys into it. So what we do know is the Patterson tank was overfilled. The Patterson tank is not necessarily meant to be used as a rotary system. The Patterson tank is meant to be either inverted or stirred with the supplied stick. Swizzle. Swizzle stick. We also know that the chemistry was reasonably fresh. So how do we take care of this murder scene from ever happening again? When you mix fresh chemistry, I always leave the lid on loose for at least 24 hours. It does something called gassing out. Pressure builds up. You will, you'll see this. <laughs> and then boom. <laughs> Kaboom. It's not a big deal to use the rod stick method or the inversion method. When you use the rod stick method, method stirring it that leaves the top open and any gas that builds up in there naturally comes out through the entire process it's not even you can even get this gas build up with black and white processing mm. i don't even think about it anymore if i see the cap start to bulge a little bit while i'm processing and i think i even do it now just out of habit while it's sitting there in between it's 30 second i just pick the lid up a little bit in the land of tupperware it's called burping yeah burp the container leave the pressure out the gas out uh. oh. <laughs> the rotary the tank and the rotary system the lid fits too tight it's meant to be a non-leak system so that you can invert it I i'm not surprised that maybe we have not heard this before and of course the fresher the blicks, the easier it's going to happen. The gas buildup in C41 is because of the carbonate that's in there. And they use different, some different amount of carbonate for different brands. C41. Tetanol, Unicolor. They all have their own little recipes on this. They all take a little bit different time to gas out. And this, this releases carbon dioxide and that's the pressure. That's what's happening. It's going to happen. So if the burps become too annoying, you can actually do a brief water rinse between mm -hmm. your developer and your Blix. Number one, that means you're going to be taking the lid off and leaving some pressure out and having that re that um, uh, carbon dioxide reaction. The pressure. So you just fill it with water, same temperature, invert it once, pour it out, then go to your Blix stage. Sweet. Yes. Uh, another method um, is the way you agitate. Mm -hmm. The more, little more aggressive you are, it's going to build up a little bit. Burp the tank. Burp the baby. Burp the baby. And, and that that will save you from having your Dexter murder scene in your darkroom again and explaining why all of your clothes are stained with blood red product to your spouse. And um, that should take care of it. You should be fine. Leslie, your white coat could use some blicks on it. It sure could. I've had that experience, though. <laughs> Thank God. I finally have a use for the, all those burp sound effects that I re recorded live in the studio. <laughs> Every one of them I can say. Is a, don't forget, burp your tank. Uh, uh, yeah.
I use Jobo reels and tanks, and I always burp mine after I put the blicks in, and after every time I invert everything, mm-hmm. and, 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 and it works fine. Tanks that are meant to go on rotary, they already have an air system in them. Mm-hmm. So the Patterson because of the pressure because of the pressure pressure. and and you have to think too, it doesn't take the same amount of chemistry to invert or stir as it does to go on the rotary tank. A rotary tank only requires a puddle of chemistry along the bottom. And your film, do you have a puddle? No, um, I I love puddle. Yeah, like little puddle measurement cups. Yes, I don't have a puddle measurement cup. Okay, well, there's a little puddle across the bottom, and as it constantly goes around, your film constantly goes through the puddle of chemistry. But when you're using your tank as an inversion tank or a swizzle stick, it's got to cover the film all the time. And right. that takes a lot more product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you burp it, sometimes you'll get a little bit of blicks just poofing out a little bit. Sometimes. But, but that's why I also do all that wet stuff in a, in a, in a darkroom sink. I yep. don't have it sitting out where it's dry stuff because you don't want to get that all over. You want to be able and to wash it down. the method that I do, too, is I, I call them bar mops. That's what uh-huh. they're called in the scene. They're very, very, <laughs> very, very cheap uh, uh, washcloth or, or hand washcloth type of thing. And there's always one in, or a stack in the darkroom. I almost always just throw it over the lid, even for inversions. Mm. It's part of holding on to the tank for me. So if there is a little leak there, you're, you're good on that. But even with black and white... When I get to the fixer stage, sometimes I will see Mm. the pressure in the cap building up, Mm. and then I just give it a little Little burp. Little burp. Uh. (laughs) Little burp. Thank you very much, Leslie. You are quite welcome. You know, I'm um, unloading a FPP debonair roll of uh, 120 Tri-X. I believe you mean a debonair. The debonair. Debonair. And it, it beautifully, it's rolled nice. And I heard you guys chit-chatting, maybe on one of the past shows or maybe in the hallway somewhere. What's You guys said, oh, you know, when you get a fat roll. Fat yeah, roll. That was me. Is that fat P-H-A-T? A nope, F-A-T. What is a fat roll for folks listening? Okay, a fat roll is when, it, usually it happens in Diana or a Holga, but I suppose it could be in other cameras. If there's not enough tension in your take-up, mm. and as you're rolling it on there, there's the roll is loose. Oh. And so, as, since it's loose, they, the layers expand out a bit, and sometimes they'll actually um, stick out over the lip of the the, the edges of the roll. And uh, so that's a fat roll. And what happens then is that you probably introduce the possibility of having light leaks along the edges of your film. And so that's when I had that fat roll. I shoved it into a little black plastic bag. Oh. Yes. No, go ahead. And... and um, and you know, and if you've got something like that, little one of those little film bags or something like that, stick it into. You don't want to leave it exposed to the light, or you will get light leaks. Fat gotcha. roll, fat roll number two. Yes. Bulk loading. No. Oh man, this film is thin. I bet I could get forty-five oh, right. exposures on this. Greedy. <laughs> <laughs> you think they have to shoot them? Then try and get those forty-five frames onto your reel. Not oh, right. unless it's stainless. That's fat. That's fat roll number two. Don't don't roll those fat. If you go beyond thirty-six, it's going to hang out from the reel, and then are you going to get the film sweats? And it's it's not pretty. You'd rather have you'd rather have your blicks explode. And since we're talking about light leaks, and you mentioned Holga, uh, just a reminder because uh, I've been shooting with my FPP debonair for years now, and 
as you start like using these plastic cameras regularly, they start getting more light leaks. Yes. So, and also, I tend to load it, and I'll, I'll carry this around for months, and bad. Because you leave oh, your exposure. Yeah, yeah, it collects. Right. Yeah. And it it's does. amazing. If you just leave your camera out, it'll just, I guess, light gets in. It does. Yeah. It's cumulative. It's evil. Cumulative. Um, you may want to consider picking up some light, tight tape. We have it in the FPP store, the official Scotch brand. It's a little mm-hmm. pricey, but if you use it cheaply like I do, like I save it. Well, but you know the advantage to that, though, too? What? Electrical tape sometimes Ooh. leaves adhesives, oh, yeah. and it yeah, gets it bad when it gets hot. This will never do this to yeah. you. In the summer, electrical mm-hmm. tape is nasty. It is. So this, this stuff is designed for graphics and photographic use. Yeah. Consider if you're using stuff. a plastic Holga, Holga-E-type camera or a debonair or um, even a little point-and-shoot or I had a, a light leak on my uh, Lomo Simple, which is the reloadable, the reloadable disposable. <laughs> a taped con- one, one-time use camera. The two-time, yeah. one-time use. Consider, <laughs> consider taping them up. Many-time, one-time uh, use. And here, we got to get out of here. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, this has been an awesome uh, season. Uh, we're going to come back, and we'll hopefully see most of you. Uh, or, or I shouldn't say most of you, because if most of you showed, showed up at Finlay, we'd have to call the, the fire department the police. <laughs> Probably for a little traffic direction. Yeah, it'd be a little, be a little rough. We'll see a select few of you at Finlay, Ohio, for our FPP walking workshop. Uh, I'm sure most of you will be there in spirit. I hope everyone has a great, awesome summer. Please, you know, document your summer on film and let us know what you're up to. Podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. We'll be back in September for our big season nine. Exciting. Woo. Yeah. So until next time, see you soon. Click away. Goodbye, everyone.
Sons of the 